We start today a series that I cannot wait to preach. And the name of the series is This Is That. We get this title from Acts chapter 2, verse 36, where everybody look. Um, the 120 in the upper room had just received the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And they were reacting with, with, with wild joy. And the onlookers accused them of being drunk. And they weren't acting like drunk people. But it was customary for people to, at that time in the morning, not be so filled with joy. And they weren't accustomed to seeing that kind of excitement that early in the morning. And Peter stood up and he said, they're not drunk like you're accusing them of. And then he said these three words, this is that which was prophesied by the prophet Joel. We're going to look in the next few weeks at some amazing prophecy. And I want to, you, you know how I feel about the word. The word's amazing. And um, James chapter 1 verse 23 says, the word is like a mirror. And you look into a mirror and even though you may not sometimes want to receive it, this is that. I'd like, I'd like for that to be some of that, but no, unfortunately, this is that. And when you look in the word, you see just that. And then when we start talking about looking in the word and seeing all around us, all around us, what's happening is that. It's that which was prophesied. And we're seeing it in amazing and uncanny ways. And people don't like prophecy for a couple of reasons. Number one, people find, some people find it hard to understand. And others feel like, ah, the prophecy instills fear. And it doesn't do that. While it may be hard to understand, it does not instill fear. Because in prophecy, we see how sovereign, how loving, how God reigns and has dominion over all things. In fact, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, it says that blessed are those who read, the, who read prophecy. 30% um, of the Bible is prophecy. Um, the New Living Translation on that verse in Revelation says, listen, a joyous blessing, not fear, but a joyous blessing rests upon the one who reads this message. In Matthew chapter 10, 41, Jesus said, he who receives a prophet receives a prophet's reward. In Amos chapter 3, verse 7, he says, indeed, the sovereign Lord never does anything in the earth except he first reveal it to his servants, the prophets. Now, I know that there, there is, there's a lot of prophecy floating around, and not all of it is legit. But don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And what we're going to do is we're going to go over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about prophetic words that have come forth from this church most from me and, and some from others in the church. And we're going to take a hardcore look that's going to be amazingly encouraging about the prophecy that comes from this book. And I promise you, you're going to understand it. And if, if, if the Holy Spirit has his way, there's going to be a sense of anticipation and joy and expectancy rise up, not fear. And so to begin the series, we're going to look at, we'll start today in the book of Daniel. 
where we see an uncanny parallel. What happened there is almost identical to what we're experiencing now. In fact, in those 12 chapters, the last six of them deal with prophecy. Listen to me, 2,600 years ago, Daniel, in the exile, in Babylon, prophesies about what's happening now. In fact, you can't understand the book of Revelation without understanding the book of Daniel. And so we see Daniel found himself in the situation in which we find ourselves currently. It's uncanny. And the lesson from, the, there are many lessons in the book of Daniel, and I just got to confess, to preach one week from this book, this could be an eight-hour sermon. It's not, I promise you. Um, it's not going to be a two-hour or even an hour sermon. So I'm going to preach quick, and God's going to give you the ability to listen quick, and you're going to get a lot. But I dare you to read the first six chapters of this book. It's amazing. Some of the greatest Bible stories in the Old Testament are found in those six chapters. Now, <clears throat> what happens in the book of Daniel? Everybody listen. Here's, here's how we operate in our relationship with God, okay? We come to understand who we are, our person, who we are as people. That's our identity. Secondly, we understand through relationship with God, his plan, how he works, his plan for our life. Thirdly, everybody listen, what God's doing in your life is all about getting you to a place, a promised place. The Old Testament, the picture is the promised land so that you can prosper in a place where you're destined to prosper. Everybody get that? And that's all through scripture, whether we're dealing with prophecy or not. Right now, God wants you to know who you are, his plan for you, and as you are fruitful in relationship with him, you will begin to trust that plan and you will see him prosper you in a place of destiny. How many of you want all of that? You want to be in a place of promise where there's fruitful living. And so that's the situation God wants us to know those four things. Now, what's the world doing? Exactly what Babylon or the Babylonians were doing. And the world system or the Babylonian system wants to mess up your identity, make you forget who you are, to not trust his plan, to not be in fruitful relationship with God so that you'll never be in the place where you prosper. And there are people that they're prospering, but not according to biblical standards. They're prospering according to Babylonian standards. And Babylon will let a Christian prosper according to Babylon standards. But that's not the goal. That's not real eternal prosperity. And so... For decades, when we look here in Daniel, for decades the prophets had warned the rulers of Judah that their idolatry and immorality would lead to the nation's ruin. The prophets saw the day coming when God would bring, literally bring the, the Babylonian army in to destroy Jerusalem and the temple and to literally take people captive from Jerusalem, their place of promise, 
and put them in Babylon because God would rather have his people living in shameful captivity in a pagan land than living like pagans in the Holy Land and disgracing his name. And this is a lot of what's happening right now. Nebuchadnezzar attacks Jerusalem three different times, and it starts in 605 B.C. He destroys the city, destroys the temple, the place of worship, and he takes the sacred furniture back to Babylon, and he takes the sacred stuff that belonged in God's temple and puts it in the temple of his false gods. You're talking about waking up and saying, what, is, what has happened to our world? What has happened to our nation? This is what was going on for Daniel and the three Hebrew children. The fall of Jerusalem, when you read it initially, it looked like the pagan gods of Babylon had won over the true God of Israel. And no matter how you spin it early on, it looked like a victory for the idols, but it was actually, it clearly turns out to be a devastating victory, not for the Babylonians, but for God. Can I get a witness? Just by faith, you may not know the story. Trust me, we're going somewhere. So we pick up in the very first chapter and um, we see Daniel 1, we'll pick up in verse 4, where the Bible is describing Daniel, anybody know the three Hebrew children? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And look how it describes them. These were um, select. These were like West Point dudes. It says in verse 4, they were young men without any physical defect. They were well built. They were studs. Not only that, that they were handsome. How many of you know it's one thing to be a stud, but to be a handsome stud, your options for who will be your wife, they increase. And then it says, not only that, but they showed aptitude for every kind of learning. They were well-informed. They're studs who are good-looking and smart. How many know the options are getting, like, they, they, this is bachelorette right here. But not only that, it says they were qualified. They were quick to understand. This is what every woman wants. A well-built, handsome, smart guy who is sensitive. How many know only the Holy Spirit can do that? That's who they were. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. Verse 5, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, Hananiah, Shadrach, Mishael, Meshach, and Azariah, Abednego. Verse 8, key verse for the whole book. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. 
Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Just vegetables. This is the Daniel fast and water to drink. Water, vegetables are vegetables regardless, no matter where you eat them. Water is water, no matter where you drink it, unless you're in Florida and something happened to their water. I don't know what it is, but it just is yuck. <clears throat> then compare our appearance, verse 13, with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food, the delicacies, the wine, and the meat from the king's table. Verse 16, so the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, please see this, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Listen, the supernatural realm was opening up to Daniel's understanding. And we see in the very next chapter, he needs to understand that. And God uses him to do that. Verse 18, <clears throat> at the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. And look at verse 20. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times smarter or better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Now I'm going to answer this question. What do you do when your country gets dismantled? And you find yourself in Babylon, exiled, a foreign country that is pagan and no longer friendly to your faith. In fact, it becomes anti-God or anti-Christian. What do you do? It's a worthy question, isn't it? You do this first. Remember who you are. Make sure of your identity. Daniel and the three Hebrew children were given new names, not just random names, but names that were related to the false gods that they worshiped. I find it interesting that Daniel, he refers throughout the book to the three Hebrew children with their Babylonian names, but not him. I guess when you're the author of the book, there are privileges. It's like Moses in Numbers. You, you remember, there's, th these things happen in the Bible to help you understand. Humans wrote it, and they were divinely inspired. Moses is writing Numbers, and he says, Moses, the most humble man to ever live on planet Earth. <laughs> when you're the author of the book, you get to describe yourself. And Daniel, listen, they get new names 
to mess with their identity. They're answering, they're in a new place, learning a new culture, a new language, a new diet. They're being reprogrammed or deprogrammed. And Daniel remembers his name. It's interesting that the name Daniel means God is my judge. Daniel, that's not like a legalistic, he's looking for you and he's going to condemn you as guilty. No, he's saying, I'm oriented to answer to him, not to Nebuchadnezzar. I listen to what he says. I find my worth and my identity, my value. I find my everything in my relationship with him. He is my judge. Can I tell you right now? It is so necessary and important that we, and that me, that I, that we know who we are. It's been the devil's trick since the garden to make us forget who we are and who we answer to. Daniel is saying, I know who the umpire in my life is. He will either call me safe or he will call me out. And as I stay in in relationship with him, even though I may not be in the city of peace anymore, I may be in Babylon, he still calls me safe. He's my judge. And I answer to him. I find everything. I'm oriented to him and to his word. Secondly, second thing you've got to do is you need to review what God's word says about your current situation. Daniel and his friends, they had a huge problem. They were being fed something that God had clearly instructed them that was, it was not for them. In fact, they couldn't eat it. They would violate God's word for his promises and instructions for his people. And certainly, you know, This was choice food. You know, this was not tomato soup and government cheese. This was choice food. And it was an honor to be trained as officers in the king's palace. But it was also a trial. For these dedicated Jewish boys, they were having to adapt themselves to the ways and the thinking of the Babylonians. And hear me, the purpose of this three-year course was to transform Jews into Babylonians. And this meant not only a new land, but also new names, customs, ideas, and a new language. For three years, they had been enrolled in a program to indoctrinate and brainwash them into thinking and acting like Babylonians. Daniel means, God is my judge. So he referred back to God's word as it instructed him that he, a Jewish boy, could not eat food the way King Nebuchadnezzar was preparing it. Those delicacies had first been offered up to the false gods of the Babylonian people, the pagan gods. And the Bible was clear in in Leviticus chapter 11 and chapter 17 verses 10 through 16 in the law of Moses, that Hebrew boys could not eat that kind of food. Now, if you are like me, you're probably thinking, I doubt Moses knew what was coming. 
if he had known that we were going to be exiled and in the king's service in Babylon, if he had known that was going to be the only thing, that was the only thing on the menu, if he had known that, maybe he would have excused us and we could have gotten by with a little bit of the king's menu. But Daniel, uh uh-uh. He knew what God's word had said. Oh, I I think as, as a parent, I think, Oh my goodness, I would have loved to have been there that night. His family devotions was on Leviticus 11 and Leviticus 17. His mother and father, somebody in their religious system did their job in delivering the training and discipleship for this young Hebrew boy. Why? How do we know that? Because verse 8 tells us he resolved not to defile himself with the king's meat and the king's food and wine. That word resolved. The title of the sermon this morning is resolute. He was resolute. To be resolute means that you are admirably purposeful, determined, and unwavering. Everybody hear me. At some point in your Christian life, You will move out from the bubble of everything being protected and you being in a spot where you're just blessed. You don't have to do anything to be blessed. You're just blessed. You don't have to stand up against any external forces against you. But at some point, everybody in this room, and most all of us, in fact, all of us, have had the opportunity where We have to resolve not to be influenced by that. And you don't need me to give a long laundry list of all the things that are impacting and affecting us and giving us a new language. You don't, and I'm not even talking about the currency. I'm just talking about life on planet earth, let alone the current situation. Jordan Peterson, who I love to listen to, he says, we don't know what raising a generation on Twitter, we don't even know how it's going to impact them. We don't know what a a generation that grows up fully on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, we don't even know how it's going to impact them. But what we do know is it's not going to help them. We don't even know a lot of things right now about the things that we're having to choose, yay or nay. And I'm not here to tell you what is right or wrong for you, but I'm here to tell you, you need to know who you are and you need to review God's word because he is the one that calls you safe. And how many of you need to be called safe in this day? He's the one that you are to answer to. And my prayer is that you will, you will be resolute. Do you remember the first time as a kid or whenever it was in early in your faith development when you were going this way, you were, sold, you were committed to the Lord and you had a choice or a temptation and you had to make a decision? Do you remember when the first time you stood up and you said this new identity, this new commitment to this Uh, It it disqualifies me from being able to do that. Anybody remember that? Because you need to find yourself 
doing that often. I know this is not like, there's probably nobody within walking distance preaching a sermon like this this morning. So count yourself lucky. You could have driven to another church, but God led you here this morning. And this isn't an appetizer. This isn't rah-rah, we're going to get through the pandemic. This isn't somebody eventually will be in the White House that you approve of. This is the word of God for a last day's season that we need to know who we are, know what God's word says so that we can choose to do what God's word says. Why? Because he says that's what to do. What, but why, why does he just say, hey, you can't eat things like that? Because God knows things you don't know. Like they didn't know then that bacon was not good for you. God did. Now, some of y'all are smiling like, don't, don't you dare go there. <laughs> Do not get on my bacon. Thank God for the New Testament. We preached about this. Remember, Peter had a vision. But seriously, there are things, sometimes I do think God puts something in there and it feels like, but why? I mean, Daniel and the three Hebrews, look at us, we're well, we're strong, we're handsome, we, we're smart, sensitive. He chose us. And who knows how many people, young men just like them had been taken, but they resolved not to eat that. And you, if that's the end of the story, we may go, man, God, he's a curmudgeon. I mean, that's just not going to be easy to keep him happy and do things his way. But thank God, that's not the end of the story. Hear me. That's the beginning that sets the trajectory for the rest of the story. What's the rest of the story? Well, the third thing that you need to realize when you find yourself in a different world, you need to renew your commitment to completely obey God's word. I like radical obedience. I was in my 10th grade year of high school. I just turned 16 when I really went all in with the Lord. And I, I became familiar with the story of Daniel. And I began to ask, what would that look like? And what I have found is, and I am high octane, I am passionate, sometimes perceived as too passionate. Thank you very much. I'll, it's a badge of honor. But I believe the Bible is true. I believe the tomb is empty. My faith was made for this season. I'm not depressed, oppressed, downcast. Right now, I think God has prepared me to live in this season, and I pray that he has prepared you so that you can be fruitful. How will you be? When you make a, a commitment, when you resolve to completely obey God's word and offer radical obedience. There are two themes in the book of Daniel. The first is the emphasis on separation to God or consecration. From their decision to not eat the king's food to the refusal to bow to 
the image of the king in the next chapter. These young men refused to compromise. And spectacular opportunities were open for God to display his power on their behalf. Listen, their courageous commitment presents us with a challenge to not compromise where we are being squeezed into the pattern of this world. This is what Paul was talking about in the New Testament, Romans 12. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. You'll recognize in the NIV and New King James to become a living sacrifice, radically obedient. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will lean, or you will, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You see, these young men were resolute. They were ridiculous, seriously. They were radically obedient, and it paid off. In chapter three, they were being told that everybody's gonna bow down to the image, the false God, and they refused to bow down. When everybody was doing it, not them, they were brought into the king then, and they were threatened. And you, you may remember, the king he, they had favor with him, and the, and the king kind of said, hey, I don't think you understood what you're supposed to do, and so I, I want to help you out. And he says, when the music starts playing, every, everybody, you just bow down and pay homage to this image that resembles me. That's all you have to do. And you can see, when you read the rest of it, their arms are crossed, going, no, we understand. But we're not going to bow. Wait, why not? If you don't bow, there are decrees. There are actions and reactions and if you don't obey the law, you're, what did they say? Look at it, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. I wish somebody would just say amen to that right there. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. That's not the best part. Here's the radical obedience. Here's the resolute. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Does that get anybody's heart just... It's not only there in chapter 6, Daniel had excelled so much that the king was going to put him in charge over the whole kingdom. Wait, what? Where'd that come from? What does that mean? Verse three, the next verse says, the other Babylonian leaders 
They didn't like it that Daniel, a foreigner, was being prosperous. And so they tried to help to trap him. The Bible says in verse 4, y'all, this is in the Bible. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. Listen, he was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. But he had one problem. He prayed too much. And that was the only way they could trip him up. So what they did, they got a bunch of politicians together and said, hey, why don't we make, Mr. President, why don't we make a new decree that no one in your kingdom can pray to anyone but you? And him being an empty-headed politician said, I like that idea. And so what happens? Verse 10 but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, I love, oh, I, sometimes the Bible is so sarcastic, you just can't, I just, I want to slap somebody. When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to God. Brothers and sisters, this is what being resolute looks like. This is consecration, radical commitment, dedication to God. Now, I'm not talking about works of the flesh. I'm not talking about, you know, uh, I'm talking about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what I'm talking about. And so we see the first part of emphasis in this book is the emphasis on consecration to God separation to God. And here's the second theme that we see. The, hear me. Oh, because of the first theme, here's what we see in the second theme. The absolute superiority of God. We see dominion. Dominion. Domin taken over minion. That's what we see. Look what happens. The palm readers, magicians, soothsayers could not interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. But Daniel was able to. God revealed to Daniel what was happening and what was going to happen. And look what happens. About their choice to not bow to the idol, God is superior he delivers them in the fiery furnace, not from it. And the king responds, verse 28, chapter 3, Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make this decree... If any people, whatever their race, nation, or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego 
to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. This is the same one who had them thrown into the fire, who is now declaring that that's the only God we can pray to. What about Daniel's decision to go home and pray anyway? The king is forced to throw him in the lion's den. You know the story. And the Bible says while Daniel was in the lion's den, the king couldn't sleep at night because he loved Daniel. When he woke up the next morning, he ran to see what had happened to Daniel and he was thrilled because Daniel was okay and the king had those who had accused him falsely thrown into that same lion's den and the Bible says that their bodies were consumed by those hungry lions before their bodies hit the floor. Can you just imagine, Holy Spirit, help us just real, re imagine what the turning of the tables could be. That there could be a, maybe this is a setup for a great move of God. And look what, look what this king says. Everybody listen, are y'all tracking with me? They go in the lion's den, and I mean, to the fiery furnace. And you know the story. There's another in the fire. And who was it? Jesus, the Son of God. And then here we are in chapter 6, and Daniel goes and prays. Looks what, look what it says in verse 25 through 8. Then King Darius sent his message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Listen, ridiculous, outlandish commitment to God will most often see his supernatural intervention and blessing. Brothers and sisters, what are our options? What are our options? To play politics? To negotiate? To stand in our own strength against the indoctrination, the dismantling of our nation? Or to ignore it and act like it's not happening? That's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to remember who I am. I'm going to look into his word so I can see what I am supposed to do. And I'm going to do it with radical obedience, with a heart that is steadfast, a heart that says the church is open we're declaring the word of God oftentimes with tears in our eyes because there's a world that's been indoctrinated already and their only hope is the word of God. I don't wish that any of our adversaries would be thrown in the lion's den and consumed before their bodies hit the ground. 
My prayer is that God would throw us all into a Holy Spirit fiery furnace and that he would renew our, our, that he would send such a revival that even our leaders would stand and say, I give up. I give up. Let the whole nation Let every race, this is what the Bible says, every nation on this planet, let them know that the God of Daniel is the one true living God. Let it be. And you can call me innocent, naive, call me whatever you want. I know what my name is. I know what my rights are. I know what my privileges are. I get to pray. Jesus taught me to pray. My Father who is in heaven. Now, in closing, what else happens? Look here. Many people don't know this and haven't put this together. Um... Jeremiah, one of the prophets, God had told him, here's how radical I want your obedience to be. I want you to prophesy. They're not listening to you anyway. I want you to go naked for three years and prophesy. How many of you know that, that is, that's like, this is radical. That's radical. <laughs> this is, God had one prophet marry a prostitute so that he would be able to say to God's people what it feels like to love someone who will love everybody else but you. And so in Daniel chapter 9, please look here. Daniel chapter 9, Daniel goes and discovers he finds the scrolls. They're, they're almost 70 years in Babylon. They don't have a synagogue, a temple. They don't have a place for them to worship their God. That's why Daniel had to go home and in his private place where he lived and pray for three times a day. And Daniel comes across the dusty scrolls of what we have as the book of Jeremiah. And do you know what he reads? Jeremiah is the one who prophesied we would be exiled here. And he reads, and he said it would be 70 years. And Daniel goes, it's almost over. Let me, there, there's so much to unpack there. So what caused it to last exactly 70 years? Was it Jeremiah's prophecy? Or was it a radically devoted young man who's a little older now finding what the word says and then he begins to act out what the word says? It's both. Are are y'all out there? So, what's the last thing you do? We do what Daniel did. What did he do? 
when he found that out, here's the fourth thing you do when you find yourself in a foreign land. You pray and repent. And you may know this. Daniel is the only character in the Bible except for Jesus. He's the only other one that there was nothing negative said about him at all. Daniel, what are you repenting for? You look in, in chapter 9 and chapter 10. It, you should read it. It's a beautiful prayer of repentance. Everybody hear me. There's a great principle in it. And Daniel begins to, he says, we have forgotten you. We didn't listen to the prophets. We, we, we have sinned against you. Not you, Daniel. Look what he does. He prays on behalf of his people. And here's the message. If we, the church, would know who we are, if we would remember, review what his word says, and we would radically obey it, and then stand in the gap on behalf of our nation, and pray and repent, who knows what could happen. Oh, y'all are not with me this morning. Y'all are ready to go home. Listen, who, this is why we pray right now. This is why we fast. Look what Daniel 9 says. I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, you are a great and awesome God. You always fulfill your covenant and keep your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and obey your commandments. I gotta read that verse again. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, oh Lord, you are a great and awesome God. Anybody, anybody agree with Daniel? You always fulfill your covenant. Anybody agree with Daniel? Come on. And keep your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and obey your commands. But we have sinned and done wrong. We have rebelled against you and scorned your commands and regulations. We have refused to listen to your servants, the prophets, who spoke on your authority. You know what I want to remind you in closing this morning, brothers and sisters. Second Chronicles chapter 16 verse 9 says this. Still... The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. How many believe that's true? How many believe it's true for 2021? We've got two people that are mildly agreeable to that. God's calling us to a season of being resolute. He's calling us to a season of prayer and repentance. I refuse. You know, what's the deal? This is that. But I'm not going to read this to figure out that. I'm going to read this, and I won't even have to buy that. Nobody does anyhow. You get it online. There's apps for this stuff. Y'all, are you out there? Listen, I'm, I'm, 
I'm challenging you at a mature level. Let's be a remnant church. Let's be a praying church. Let's be a church that refuses to let our community, let our nation be exiled and indoctrinated. Let's stand in the gap and believe, God, you can save us from the fire, but even if you don't, we're not bowing. Even if they make laws, you may have to mark my words. I don't say this flippantly. I have counted the cost. You know, all those thousands of Hebrew boys that were brought out with, they needed a Daniel. The Bible, the Bible didn't say a long list of those Hebrew boys that were at, in Babylon doesn't say a long list of them resolved not to defile them. It says Daniel. And then we see three others go, you know what? I'm with him. Do you believe in the God who, after 10 days on vegetables and water, you have 10 times more revelation and spiritual insight? Chapters 2 through 12 are awesome, but you don't get there unless you've got verse 8. Daniel resolved not to be indoctrinated. King Nebuchadnezzar, my breath ain't going to smell like your breath. You can give me a new name, call me whatever. You can take me out of Jerusalem. You can bring me to Babylon, but I, know, I still know who I am and who my God is and his capacity to deliver. You know, it's in chapter, I don't have time to read this, but the two verses that are central to the whole book are in chapter 4, verse 34 and 5, where Nebuchadnezzar calls Daniel's God the one who has dominion in the whole earth. Either Jesus is coming back and then everybody is going to say they were right. And how many of you will be glad you were resolute then? If he tarries, I'm speaking to you and, and to you all up there. May there be a dozen or two Daniels. The Bible says about them that Daniel had an excellent spirit. Some people can eat and they don't care about their breath uh, smells. But Daniel and those who have an excellent spirit, I was 15 when I realized I'd been called out. And I promise you, if you offer radical obedience, I see some of your faces and I see and I have known since I met you that some of you have the spirit of excellence on your life. Do not forfeit or compromise it. God has a plan for you as a person, for you to trust his plan about a place where he is taking you, where you will prosper. There is destiny. Stand with me, brothers and sisters.
Lord, you truly are the great I am. There's no one like you, Lord, in all the earth. We praise you. Lord, let there be, even now, upon some of us adults, a return, a resoluteness, Lord, that says, restore a spirit of excellence. May Isaiah 40 be true. May we May you restore our youth and may we soar like eagles again. Run and not grow weary, walk and not faint. On a 45-year-old, a 62-year-old, a 73-year-old, a 31-year-old in this room, Lord, restore their awareness that you have put excellence in them. They are your people who can trust your plan to go to a place where they will prosper. And we thank you, Father, as your people. Your word says, if my people will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked. You said you'd hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. We are your people, and we are standing in the gap in this season. And may we say this that's happening in America is that which you prophesied in your word. For Daniel, it was 2,600 years ago. We thank you for the revelation of the present truth of your word. Hallelujah. Anybody feeling Holy Spirit up in here this morning? <laughs> Praise you, Lord. I got to let you go. We got to get ready for a second service. Hear me. I, I, I love you. pastoring in this season I cannot just go through a regular routine for 20 some months I've said we are in an epoch not epic we are in a, a rare season of human history and I've never felt sorry for God's side I get burdened for God's people that they would remember they're on his side, or more importantly, he's on our side. So be built up. In your radical obedience, he will sustain you. He will deliver you. You are his. He's taking you to a place. He has a plan. And it is. It's in this same book. And they... Jeremiah was talking about these same people when he said, I know the plans I have. They're not to harm you. They are to give you a future and a hope. You need to declare right now, I have a future and I have a hope. I have a hopeful future. How many of you will say that right now? Come on. If you would just lift out, hold out your hands. And Father, we dedicate our lives to you. Fill us with your faith. I thank you for the injection of your word right now. Your rhema word that we will be resolute people and we will receive, we will see the remarkable supernatural actions of you, our God, in our lives in this season. In Jesus' name we pray. We will not be bullied by the enemy. We will not be controlled by fear. 
we will read this and know about that. Amen? Come on, amen? Hallelujah. Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you. May he lift up his countenance on you and give you his peace. Say, I receive it. Have a good afternoon. God bless you.